And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it is hump day as uh, we get through this week already. Of course, Monday is a holiday. That's Martin Luther King Day. So markets will be closed on Monday, so we'll have a holiday shortened week next week, which means that probably traders don't want to hold over the weekend. But right now, futures are pointing a little bit higher this morning. Now, a bit of sloppy trade yesterday, as we had talked about. Uh, Jerome Powell was supposed to make a speech yesterday, and everybody was kind of highly anticipating what that was going to say. What is he going to talk about monetary policy and you know what's he going to say about inflation? He didn't say anything. Um, he just said, hey, we're going to adhere to what we're doing. Uh, it was a very short speech, actually, just saying that basically it was kind of an interesting uh, change in dynamic. You know, previously, both Janet Yellen at the Treasury Department, as well as Jerome Powell, had made allusions uh, when Biden was president and Democrats controlled both sides of the houses, um, had made allusions to the fact that, you know, climate change was an issue uh, that Fed policy could work on, right? That could get to do that. Well, now that control has changed and you want to keep your job, of course, uh, yesterday's speech was, uh, the Federal Reserve has nothing to do with climate change. So <laughs> we are not going to be climate change policymakers. Uh, so <laughs> kind of a quick change of events. It, it, that's a nothing. It was a it was very much a nothing burger yesterday. Not a lot of gas in that statement, um, but it was very short. Markets uh, kind of rebounded off a weak open yesterday morning, and then closed right at the 50-day moving average. So again, we haven't made any progress here over the last few days, and have really just kind of been you know tra trading at a little bit higher level. But we're in that cluster of resistance: the 20-day, 50-day, 100-day, all right there. Um, if we can get above the 50-day. Uh, today, and futures are pointing a little higher this morning, about nine points up on the S&P right now. So if markets can kind of follow through with some rally today, get above those moving averages, uh, there's not really much to stop the markets until it gets up towards around 4,4100, where it's going to challenge that downtrend line from the, the January peak of last year, as well as the 200-day moving average. So again, all these kind of just resistance levels are getting very tight now. And there's a, there's a bullish or a bearish um, you know, connotation to that type of action. We have these kind of rising bottoms now across the bottom. We have these downtrending tops with a lot of resistance there. So if markets can break above all of that, then there's technically some pretty decent upside to markets. And so there's not a whole lot of rush here to try to get allocated for the markets right now. Again, we've, we've got a lot of headwinds that we still have to face, and we'll talk about those in a second. But again, if markets can kind of break above that downtrend and break out of this, this, this kind of tightening, consolidative pattern that the markets have been in over the last several months, um, that does suggest there's some decent upside to markets. So again, not just you know completely bearish about everything. Um, but again, you know, lots of things to be concerned about as we head further into this year. First of all, you know, the, the Fed is still hiking rates. And this was a question I posed out on Twitter this morning. So if you follow me on uh, at Lance Roberts on Twitter, I asked the question this morning, you know, uh, kind of the bullish narrative is that markets are going to go up because inflation is coming down and the Fed's going to pivot and start dropping rates around May, June of this year. 
And in fact, markets right now are anticipating a 50 basis point drop in rates by the end of the year. So Fed's going to start cutting rates starting mid-year. But the question becomes is if the markets are rallying, if the economy is not in a recession and inflation is coming down, why would the Fed cut rates? Why would they just leave rates where they were? If everything is fine, why would they cut rates? And why would they restart QE? So that's really kind of the challenge of the narrative that the bulls are and, and bears are fighting over right now is, is what the Fed's going to do. The Fed is hiking rates. They are doing QT. They are extracting liquidity out of the markets. And that's been a big driver of asset prices over the last 12 years. There's a very high correlation between the Fed's balance sheet, of course, and, and the stock market. So if the Fed's reversing that policy, then you have to ask yourself the question is, what's going to be the big driver of shares going higher? Corporations. 40% of the advance in the S&P 500 since 2011 has been solely due to corporate share buybacks. So again, big influence there. Right now, corporations not buying back their shares. In fact, um, we've seen a very weak flow of share buybacks. Now, uh, right now, to be fair, right, companies aren't buying back shares over the last week or so because they're in blackout. We're about to start uh, earnings season. So corporations are in blackout right now and they can't buy shares until after they announce earnings. But that's going to that's gonna alleviate as we get towards the end of kind of mid-February those windows are going to start opening back up for share buybacks and continue. So one thing to pay attention to as we get into real earnings season starting next week, and we'll start hearing from the major banks, is what do they say about their current earnings? Now look, we're, in, we're about to head into millennial earnings season. We talk about this every quarter, right? This is where everybody gets a trophy because we lower earnings enough for all these companies to get over the, the hurdle, right? So we just keep lowering estimates and then company beats estimates and we go, oh look, they beat estimates, aren't they great? Well, yeah, you just keep lowering the hurdle enough and then they can finally get over it. Um, but what we'll hear, the, the thing is, that, yes, we're gonna have a lot of beats uh, of earnings. Companies are gonna report earnings. And again, you gotta look at where they were versus where they are now. And, and again, when you look at it in that perspective, earnings aren't gonna be that great. But they are going to beat earnings estimates. The thing to pay attention to is what do they say about the rest of this year? What is their guidance? Because, again, with inflationary pressures. Now, remember, part of the, the, of the profit game for companies is inflation. So as inflation goes up, they're able to charge higher prices. If you've gone to the store lately, you know what you're paying for, for eggs and soup and everything else. So as inflation comes down that's going to start to eat into earnings and profits because they won't be able to charge as much as prices. And, and, that, and the reason why does inflation go down, right? Because demand's going down means prices have to, have to drop in order to get products sold. And inventory to sales ratios right now, if you take a look at a lot of companies, they have a lot of inventory. Remember those supply chain hiccups that we had back in 2020 where we had no, we had no inventory and a ton of demand, which was driving, asset, driving prices higher. Well, that's now reversed. We've got lots of supply, lots of inventory. Inventory to sales ratios are going up because inventory is stockpiling because sales aren't as strong, right? Sales are coming down, and so we're seeing more inventory pile up on shelves. That's going to lead ultimately to lower prices. That's a disinflationary item to pay attention to is those inventory to sales ratios. So that's something to keep a watch on. Now, um, all this is going to play into the markets over the next really kind of few months. The question is, is have markets corrected enough 
over the last year to justify for where we are economically. You know, are we going to have a deeper recession where prices and valuations need to come down more or have markets already priced in a, a, a light recession and that's all we have, right? So, and the answer to that question is nobody knows, unfortunately, but this is the challenge that we're gonna have over the next few months. Right now, markets are starting the year holding up very well here. We haven't, you know, actually markets are up about one and a half percent or so, so far this year. So already coming out of the gate, fairly strong month of January, right? So, so goes the month of January, so goes the year. Um, so far, January is proving to be okay. Now the question is, is can we continue that? Uh, February and March tend to be a, a bit weaker in terms of market performance. So the things we'll be watching for over the next, you know, really three, four weeks in particular, is paying attention to what earnings are saying. And if earnings are have to come, and if earnings do have to fall more, then prices will have to come down as well. Uh, if not, then we may have seen the bottom of the market. That's what we'll be trying to determine here over the next couple months. All right, quick break, we'll come back. Danny Rettler joining me this morning. IRS hiking taxes uh, to combat inflation. We'll talk about that and more right here on The Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Are you as worried about estate taxes as we are? Our first Lunch and Learn of the New Year will focus on family limited partnerships. This valuable tool in the tax code could provide your estate with the safety and security you crave for your family. Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Chris Masters, CPA with Doran Mayhew, Thursday, January 12th at noon, with the ins and outs of family limited partnerships for your estate and tax planning. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Day edition of the show. Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. Danny, how are you? Awesome. Was that on the air? I didn't hear him. <laughs> we had to redact what he just said. Uh, I got you. That's what I thought. <laughs> Good morning. How are you? I'm here. <laughs> now I'm doing great. So a uh, few things uh, to get into this morning. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, importantly, what income is needed to be considered rich. But before we get there, because um, a couple of things are, are you know happening up in Congress now with the new Congress in uh, one of the the part of the rule changes that were made. We talked a little bit yesterday about the rule changes uh, for Kevin McCarthy to get elected as House Speaker. Um, one of those have now set up the potential for a defunding of the IRS because under the um, previous funding bills of the Biden administration, they had provided a lot of funding to the IRS to hire like 87,000 IRS agents to go after the rich people, right? But of course, it's never the rich people that get tagged. It's always uh, the middle class or under that wind up paying the bulk of the taxes. Uh, so part of this, though, is a defunding of those 87,000 IRS agents, um, which, you know, a lot of individuals got a job and now they don't have one. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. But 
you know, this is something that, uh, unfortunately, it's now January, which means that uh, tax day is rapidly approaching. April the 15th will be here before you know it. And, inflation, and, and the IRS is trying to figure out how to help with inflation. And I'm just curious exactly how they're going to do that, Danny. Well, each and every year, the IRS does make adjustments to tax brackets. So this year, they did make an adjustment a little bit more hefty than usual. So they actually gave a 7% adjustment in increasing the tax brackets. So if you had to pull more money out, you're retired, or maybe you made more money. It, it's, it's a positive thing in that aspect in the sense that you're going to have a little bit more bandwidth before you reach that next tax bracket. So in other words, if a, if it just easy math, if the tax bracket was, you know, say for 25,000 100, to 107, that's yeah. right. So it's an extra $7,000. So this is good news, but yeah. I think that, you know, I mean, look, this is it's it's not like the, you know, everybody acts like, "Woohoo, this is fantastic." <laughs> but, you know, it's it's minimal, but they all add up. So it's it's a little bit at a time. And so I think the important thing to remember is and, and one thing that when we talk to a lot of people is that they don't understand their uh what their effective tax rate is at the end of the day. And so, you know, we talk about the the tax brackets in general, and a lot of people think about when they talk about marginal versus effective, marginal being what that actual number is. And so, like, if you're in the 25% tax bracket, for instance, like you mentioned, or 24, then you would actually, what are you actually paying in taxes? You might only be paying 15 or 16%, which would be your effective tax rate. So, it's just what your last dollar is taxed at is essentially what that marginal tax rate. And that's what many people equate to saying, this is exactly how much I'm paying in taxes. So, mm -hmm. for instance, easy math. If you said, you know, I'm in the uh, the 24% tax bracket and, um, you know, it was at $100,000. Right. Everybody would say, well, I'm paying $24,000 in taxes. Well, that's not necessarily true because you're going through many other tax brackets which essentially you're taking the average of that. Right. And you're also taking your, you your know, deductions, standard deductions yeah, and charitable donations and all that. But I mean, yeah, it's, you know, kind of rough math back of the, you know, back of the envelope yeah. thing is like how much you can pay on a hundred thousand dollars. It's, you know, once, and once you get over that, of course, you know, you get into the higher tax brackets and yeah, everybody just kind of, but this is, this is where we always get into these, you know, these big debates about taxation and who pays the taxes and all that. So and when you actually look at, you know, the the breakdown of who all pays the taxes, the top 10% of income earners pay about 80% of all the taxes. And that's because once you start getting out of the lower brackets, um, the bottom 20% actually make money from the government every year. They pay no taxes and they get tax credits coming back yeah. to them. So they actually wind up, you know, getting money. And this is this is part of that distribution effect that we talk about. And, and that, you know, the U.S. is, is actually one of the more... Um, one of the countries that have some of the highest redistribution of wealth uh, in the world because you're taking money from higher income earners and giving it to lower income earners. And, you know, there's there's a lot of debate around that issue, but it, it's, it, it's when people say, you know, well, the rich need to pay their fair share, they actually do. Um, yeah. Where we get hung up on this is when you talk about a company like Amazon, as an example, that paid no taxes they pay a lot of taxes. Uh, they just didn't pay income tax because of the way the tax code works. But, you know, they're paying taxes on income. They're paying taxes on dividends. And, and, and then everything gets double taxed as well. Remember, when you get a dividend from the company, a company pays taxes on the income, and then you pay taxes on the dividends. So there's a lot of double taxation that actually occurs through the economy as well. Well, you have to remember, many of these states and municipalities, they give benefits and subsidies to entice these companies to come over as well. So mm -hmm. when you see these companies shifting from one state to the next or city to city, 
a lot of times there's there's some type of tax incentive involved. And so, yeah. but you think about the economic uh, redistribution and that aspect is that that is actually helping your your county, your area, because more people are going to be hired. You're going to have more jobs, which will create more people coming, which is, you know, well, look, <laughs> neither so, maybe good or bad, right? Yeah, well, Citadel Securities, right? Yeah. Uh, which is the evil nemesis of the financial markets because they're basically the people that front run all your trades. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, with high frequency trading, uh, they moved out of Chicago because of taxes and politics and they moved to Florida. Yeah. Right. And so now they're bringing all these jobs to Florida and they're building a massive high rise to house Citadel in. So that's going to be more property taxes for Florida. That's going to be more jobs for Florida, more income. So, you know, there's it, it, to your point, you know, there's a lot of, you know, yeah, sure. I give you a benefit. I give you a tax break to come move your business, but you, you know, all those employees now have jobs in Florida. They're going to buy houses. They're going to buy furniture. They're going to buy cars. They're going to buy food. They're going, you know, all think of all the stuff. All those employees. All the jobs now. that are created, not just it, with those employees, but the people that are going to service those people as it, well. Exactly. So you know, there's going to be a lot of a lot of other revenue that comes in. And that's why that's why these states do that. That's why you'll see, you know, that, hey, uh, you know, come move to Texas, you know, come move your business to Texas and we'll give you seven years of, of no taxes. Right. State makes a lot of money even with that gift. Yeah. So, just in sales tax. Yeah. Property tax. I mean, exactly. there's so many other ways they make money. But you did mention something earlier. So talking about tax brackets and, you know, we were just discussing how that you're going to get a 7 percent bump in tax brackets this year, you also did get an increase in your standard deduction. So that actually went up to $27,700 this year for a, a couple. So if married finally jointly, that's a pretty nice little increase. Yeah. Um, you know, look, any of these these things help. And what we found, though, with standard deduction increasing the way it has and limit, limitations on SALT deductions, so state um, you know, taxes, your property taxes, those things, you're more and more people are using the standard deduction. So this right. is actually nice. Right. Uh, salt is standard in local taxes, so sales tax, those type of things. Yeah. So, uh, and again, this has been one of the, the, you know, that that was also one of the, you know, kind of inputs in the bills under the Trump administration. They started repealing the salt tax in, you know, states like California, um, which was interesting because we ha we don't have a state income tax; they do, right? So California, this is this is the problem with salt, with salt taxes. Texas, as an example, doesn't have a state income tax. And so we basically wind up subsidizing taxpayers in California because they get a deduction for their state income tax against their federal taxes. So it's just kind of an interesting... Whereas we can only... We get limited on the property taxes that we can deduct, we can deduct right? Exactly, up to $10,000. Like 10000 yeah. Yep. And, and that did go up. Uh, they did adjust that up. And uh, this, this session, by the way, in Texas, um, Dan Patrick, uh, of course, who's the... Uh, Lieutenant Governor here is pushing. He's been kind of pushing very hard on reworking property taxes in Texas. And right now, Texas has the largest budget surplus of any state in the country. And so this is going to be the year that they're really going to push to try to adjust um, property taxes in Texas because they have gotten a bit out of hand. <laughs> You know, yeah, they have. these 8% annual increases in, in property taxes, a little bit out of touch. So Yeah, but they've tried to push this through before. I mean, yeah. what do you think the real, is this realistic? Well, it, it's, it, look, it, you've got a divided house uh, in Texas as well. Um, yeah. So it's 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 not going it, to, there's a reasonable possibility it won't pass. Again, they've, they've tried to pass this before and have been unable to do it. Um, but with such a big budget surplus, 
this year may be a year where they have a better shot at it. Yeah. So we'll see. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that property tax bill ain't cheap in Texas. I mean, people go, yeah, I'm going to move to Texas because they don't have a state income tax. Yeah, we have property taxes. <laughs> yeah, my they, taxes. They, they ain't got, cheap. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, speaking of all this, of course, uh, when you get into taxes um, as well, you're talking about income. And, you know, on a regular basis, there are articles that are written about, well, how much do you need to be considered wealthy in the U.S.? And how much do you need to retire um, with an income stream in, in the United States, et cetera? And, you know, these are all great, right? And, and I saw an article yesterday as an example. is like, if you make $100,000 a year, and right off the bat, if you go take a look at how many people make $100,000 a year, it's not that many people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if you make $100,000 a year, how can you save $2 million by retirement, right? And so and it's, it's the typical, very you back of the envelope. You typical growth fund, and you make 12% every year, exactly. and it never goes down. And yeah, you, you, say, you say $50. Yeah. yeah, you say 50 bucks a month, and you get 12% a year for 30 years. You'll, be, you'll have $2 million. If I had a penny for every story I've read like that, I'd <laughs> I know. be retired. And it sounds great. It, yeah. it, those, those things, they sound great. They're encouraging. They get views because everybody wants to have $2 million in the bank. Of course. Right? But will that do the trick for you? That's going to be the question. And at what age, right? And at what age. And so we'll talk about what it means to be rich. What, what amount of income is considered to be rich in the United States? We'll be right back after the break with Danny Rella. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com are you as worried about estate taxes as we are our first lunch and learn of the new year will focus on family limited partnerships this valuable tool in the tax code could provide your estate with the safety and security you crave for your family. Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Chris Masters, CPA with Doran Mayhew, Thursday, January 12th at noon, with the ins and outs of family limited partnerships for your estate and tax planning. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. Danny Ratliff joining me. So the question is, of course, FAA, by the way, is now pausing all departures until 9 a.m. Apparently, they're having a system outage um, because their Commodore 64 broke down um, that drives all of the air traffic control. So um, if, you're, if you've got a flight this morning, just chill out because nothing's leaving until 9 a.m. Eastern time. So you've got, you've got time. <laughs> so just be patient. Um, but just talking about before the break, um, you know, what does it take to be rich? And this is, you know, this is kind of an interesting topic because, you know, it's very subjective. 
in terms of what's being rich. Uh, you know, Danny has said this before on the show, and I've experienced this, uh, you know, over the last 30 years of, you know, 30 plus years, geez, it's been a long time, of dealing with clients that, you know, I've, I've seen guys with 10, 20, 30 million dollars that can't make ends meet. And then yeah. I've seen people with, you know, half a million dollars having the time with their life. It all depends on what your burn rate is. Right. That, that's really, you know, when you talk about what does it take to be rich? And this is the problem I have with all these articles that say, you know, if you can if you make one hundred thousand dollars a year, just do a, you know, say 50 bucks a month, make 12 percent a year on your money and you'll have two million dollars. That's fine. But two million dollars at four percent is 80 grand a year. OK, so if you can live on eighty thousand dollars a year plus Social Security. Right. You're going to have the other benefits. But if you can live on that. More power to you. You're technically, quote unquote, rich, right? Because you have enough money to live on. But, you know, if the cost of living, if your cost, if your individual cost of living is $150,000 a year or one hundred and twenty, dollars or whatever it is, that's not going to do it for you. $2 million isn't going to make it. You know, $3 million, $4 million, you got to pick the number, um, attach 4% to it, pay taxes on it, and that's going to be what you're, you're going to have to live on. So, you know, I think the definition of being rich is really subjective. But in, in when it comes down to these metrics, right, Danny, we take a look at the strata of individuals. Average median household income, fifty-five dollars to $60,000 a year is the, is the median income for households. Average uh, net worth of 401k plans, right? It, you, and you take a look at that, and you're looking at fifty, sixty thousand dollars in a 401k plan, and that's deceiving, by the way, because not if you take a look at the number of employees that have actually have access to a 401k plan, it's about 25 percent of all workers. 50% of businesses don't have 401k plans. Of the 50% that do, only 50% only of the employees actually contribute. So very few workers actually have access to a 401k plan. And if they do have access to it, they don't utilize it in many cases because they're just trying to make ends meet at home, and so they can't afford the deduction, right? So there's a lot of things that go yeah. into this. And, well, and, and, and again, when you talk about you know, being rich, I think it's a very subjective thing. That's right. And we are seeing the, the 401k aspect improve. With Secure Act 2.0, there's actually some, some help for small businesses to create yep. new plans. And so there's going to be some tax credits. Um, you know, we have Tom Allen here, who's our retirement plan consultant. He helps a lot of our small business owners with that and trying to navigate that because there are a lot of moving parts. And you want to do that right now. But rich, it is so subjective. I mean, you know, rich versus wealthy. I mean, you hear yeah. all the different stats, yeah. like, what does that actually mean? And then is it about how much money you have? Because I know people that on paper are worth a ton of money, but cash flow may not be so much. Right. So it depends on where the, where the funds are. But also, is it is it the amount of wealth? Is it the amount of income? Um, and I think this is so subjective. And like you said, we tell people who um, are very, very wealthy, hey, this does not work. Um I tell people who, you know, who've done very well, the same deal. Hey, you said you were going to spend X. Here's what you're actually spending. You know, this is the time of year we're going back through and looking at plans and saying, okay, hey, you know, how are we doing? Did you spend too much? Did we not make enough? Did we have a bad year? We're accounting for all these things from time to time. But um, what type of income do you need and do you have the assets to sustain it? And so, like you said, Lance, the average person, Schwab did a study, 2022 Modern Wealth Survey, and it says the Americans believe it takes an average net worth of $2.2 million for a person to qualify as being wealthy. Um, so this is essentially, you know, some of your assets minus your liabilities. 
So this could be your home too, right? Which those prices have increased substantially. So what type of cash flows does that does that leave somebody to work with? Um, top ten percent, or excuse me, top one percent in the U.S. They had a, a average of ten million eight hundred fifteen thousand in net worth. Top two percent, two point four, pretty big gap, right? But then the gap gets even wider now. So top five percent, one million. Top ten, eight hundred fifty-four thousand. Top fifty percent had five hundred twenty-two thousand dollars in assets, so including now, their house. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is going to be your 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 assets minus your liabilities. So if you have a mortgage on that, you back that out. Right. But yeah. So. Woo-hoo. I'm in the top fifty percent. That's right. <laughs> well, and, and then you look at you know average net worth. Now this is a little bit older study. Um, Younger than 35, 76000 dollars 35 to 44, 436, 45 to 54, 833, 55 to 64, 1.1 million. And then 75 or older, 977. You start to see those assets decline as you're spending spending them down, right? Mm-hmm. You went from accumulator to a distributor. But you know, we know the numbers. You you just mentioned them. You know, right. the average 401k or the median 401k is typically sixty thousand. The average for somebody over 65 is about 192 to 195, depending on which, you know, if you're talking about Vanguard or Fidelity or which institution. Um, But there's a problem, right? And so this is just talking about the the assets. But then you start thinking about what income level. And, you know, these vary. These are subjective, too, right? It depends on the studies that you look at. But, you know, there's a handful of studies out there. So um, most recent study was $540,000 in income would put you in the top 1%. That's a lot of money. Yep. It's a ton of income. Now, another study that was actually... before tax, by the way. Yeah, another study, (laughs) yeah. So you're not taking home $540,000, let me tell you that. Um, But I will tell you this, though. If you you go on TikTok or, you know, any of these social media campaigns, everybody is making millions of dollars every year every right? month we're working every, four hours a day, day from their computer exactly yeah. and and they're just making they're, you know ha, this is you know d- follow me and i'll show you how to make a hundred thousand dollars a week you know I, i'm not jo- am i joking danny no no it, it, I, well if know. it's that good do you have the time to tell everybody else about it i mean i guess you do, if you're only working a couple hours a week i mean but why that's not? how they're making their hundred thousand dollars a week is telling everybody else how to do it. it's like a multi-level marketing scheme right yeah, yeah. the guys at the top always make all the money it's, it's everybody else that's you know trying to sling the product that's not so oh, the guys man. that are publishing the books how to get rich are getting rich, rich. publishing books <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's it that's a true no statement. secret formula exactly so, you know, talking about the income level, so that the first number was from the IRS. Now, the Economic Policy Institute says the top 1% is much different. This is, so this is where it gets extremely subjective. Right. They say top 1% has $819,000 in income each year. Top 5% makes $335,000 per year. So what do you need now to extrapolate that? How much in net worth can you get there? I mean, what the other numbers were the top 1% had $10.8 million. You know, top five were much less. I'm not sure you can make those numbers work. Right. So I think at the end of the day, what everybody needs to understand is that, look, all these numbers are fantastic. And it's, I think it's great to have something to strive for. You know, we're right now we're at the, the season of resolutions. Are we still there? Wait, we're at the 11th. We got, what, another week? Yeah. I can tell you this, the, the gym is already thinning out. Is it really? Yes. Uh, first day, first day. Da- Wait a second. The are they thinning day- out because they're, they're on the treadmill? Or they no, just- no, 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 no. The first day back to the gym, it was 
packed. So, you know, I, I told you I'm now doing Orange Theory. with yep. my, So downstairs at our office gym, there's nobody ever in there. Nobody nobody in the building uses that gym. It's it's that's empty all the time. Except yeah. for Connie at 4 a.m. No, it's, it's empty always. Um, but, you know, so I joined my wife to do Orange Theory Fitness, which is awesome, having a good time. But the first day we go back, the thing is packed. I mean, and, and yesterday we had, you know, we had a class yesterday. And so um, went in and it was about half as many people already. So it's it's thinning out quick. But I figure by February we'll be back to normal numbers. So, <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt. That's that's the interesting thing. So you know, I think that what people have to understand is that okay, what do you need to do? What is your goal? What are you trying to accomplish? Like, for me, it's not necessarily about the money or the dollar amount. Personally, it's about what I can do with it, the right. security that it provides, the you know the longevity. So if you're in your 40s and 50s and 60s, those numbers are probably much different if you're looking to do something different or retire, yeah. right? Well, I, I think that's the, I think that's really kind of the 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 the, the really important point. You know, and, and everybody focuses on, and you know, there's just article after article written about you know the unfairness of of the U.S. because you know these billionaires have so much money and the top 10 percent of of income earners own 90 percent of the stock market. We have this massive wealth inequality in the U.S. I get it. It's not really important though, right? I mean, it, what what is important is you know, having a lifestyle that is comfortable for you and then figuring out how to build the, the, the financial structure to support that lifestyle on a passive basis, right? So you can retire, right? Yeah. That's the whole goal. Or work because you want to work, right? Or, or work. And look, everybody's going to work some just because you got to have something to do, right? Yeah. Um, but that's, that's the real goal. And so, you know, you have to be realistic about what that is. You know, I, I meet with people all the time. It's like, oh, I can live on $80,000 a year. No, you can't. I, I know you. I know what you spend money on. You're not living on 80 grand a year or 50 grand. Or, and, yeah. and, you know, I can live on $2,000 a month. No, you can't. Um, now, there not, are people that you, can. I see them do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I'm saying most people that, you know, they, they have this, you know, idea of I have all this money, but I can live on this little bitty amount of money. And you really can't. And you have to be, and the point is just be realistic about what you need to live on. Sit down and do the math, right? Write the budget. You know, what can I live with? What can I live without? And what do I want to live without, right? You know, yeah. it's no, you know be, living as a miser in your retirement years isn't your golden years. And you have to account for higher health care costs as you get older. And this is something we'll talk about after, after the break. And who cares about these numbers? Throw them out. They exactly. don't pertain to you. That's my point. It doesn't matter. Well, the only thing that matters is, is once you do your financial plan and you understand what it is that you're really trying to achieve, that's your goal. Everything yeah. else is, who cares? Be right back after the break. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com are you as worried about estate taxes as we are our first lunch and learn of the new year will focus on family limited partnerships this valuable tool in the tax code could provide your estate with the safety and security you crave for your family. Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Chris Masters, CPA with Doran Mayhew, Thursday, January 12th at noon, with the ins and outs of family limited partnerships for your estate and tax planning. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
And welcome back to the show this morning. Get ready to wrap things up. So just for the break, talking a little bit about budgeting and you know, kind of planning for retirement, all these type of things. One of the things that a lot of investors and individuals make a mistake on is not planning on healthcare costs in retirement. And look, we're all getting older and you know, things break, unfortunately. And, you know, if you take a look at a lot of the statistics and Danny can talk more to this than I can, but, you know, the average person is looking to spend between 250 and 350, 250 and $350,000 in retirement on health care. Um, and so a lot of, you know, again, going back to this assumption about what does it take to be rich? Doesn't matter. Throw that out the window. Doesn't matter at all. And again, you, you might be you know, rich and ready for retirement at 500,000, depending on your life goals and what you need. But the one thing you, you, but that says that what that assumes is, is that everything is perfect and you never wind up in the hospital and you never have any health issues. And again, when you're talking about the potential for spending 250 or $350,000 in retirement, depending on how well you've taken care of your health, um, that can really put a ding in your in, in your financial planning and in your wealth. And of course, that also settles your family with potentially a lot of, of issues as well, which is why we talk a lot about why it's important to have, you know, do things like long-term care planning and, you know, health insurance and these type of things to make sure that that health issue, and look, you're not going to get around <laughs> the health issue. It's, it's going to get you at some point. Uh, the question is, is, you know, are you lucky enough to go real quick or, you know, do you spend a lot of time in the hospital? And and that can really put a ding in your finances. So one of the things you've really got to plan for, and Danny, uh, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this, is, you know, hedging for that potential risk uh, to your finances. Yeah, I think that's a really big problem that people just overlook because they say, well, I'm healthy now. I'm not going to have to worry about this. And what we actually find is that once you reach age 85, we actually put it within our plans that you're going to spend about $1,400 to $1,500 per person additional in addition to your traditional cost of what you would expect to spend on healthcare. And so healthcare also is probably one of the fastest growing from inflation standpoint line items that you're going to have mm -hmm. just because it it is going up so quickly, the cost of it. And so the average couple typically spends about $350,000 in retirement, 65 years old and beyond, and on, on health care. And so this is something, you know, we do talk quite a bit about what does it look like for long-term care? Where are you saving funds? Should you be using your HSA? Not rolling those funds, you know, rolling those funds over, not using them like an FSA. Health savings accounts can be fantastic. Now, unfortunately, we can't, we can't dump a lot of money into them, but it's a great tool in the toolbox. So... I would encourage anybody who has one, fund it, pay your expenses out of pocket right now, let that account grow, and hopefully you got a little bit of something that's going to give you some tax benefit further down the road. But, you know, it's all subjective, Lance, like you mentioned. We were talking about incomes, and, and you know, if you are if you live in San Francisco versus living in Detroit, you know, you're in the top percent. If you're in, making $250,000 in San Francisco, but right. you've got to make seventy in Detroit. Right. And so it depends on where, where you live and what you guys are expecting. And so, you know, people move a lot. And one thing that we do see, we run a lot of analysis for clients too. And they say, well, I'm going to move to this state because they don't have state income tax or they, um, you know, wh Housing whatever. Housing costs are cheaper. Yeah, whatever it may be. But you find out that, oh, wow, it's $500 to register your car where it's, you know, <laughs> 65 or 85 here, right? Uh, you start adding these, these numbers up and a lot of times they're pretty similar. Mm -hmm. And so 
just be cautious. You know, you're giving up one thing to pay another typically. Right. Yeah. When, the, when you're the, doing there's this no thing. free lunch. Yeah. Right. There's no free lunch. You know, but one thing, you know, we do see, I see a lot of people like they sell their house in California and they come and buy a much bigger house here for half the money. Uh-huh. Right. So, I mean, you know, housing costs can be a big factor between like California and Texas. Right. And I can. And, and again, when you start talking about the fact that most people, 80 percent of Americans don't have five hundred dollars in the bank for savings. Right. But they have a net worth of five hundred thousand dollars. It's all in their house. So one thing you may want to consider is that if that's you. Right. And you've got a, a lot of your net worth tied up into your house. That's going to be one of you know one of the potential things you'll have to look at is selling that property to buy a cheaper property somewhere else to cap you know which to is not as easy that, as you think most which is not as easy as you think that's right yeah, I know a lot of people would try to think hey I'm going to downsize and then they're spending just as much on a newer home as the one they've been yep. in for 20 years raising their kids and so um, you know that can be problematic but I think a lot of people when they make these big moves and big decisions they don't factor in all the additional cost of doing yep. so that's right and so you may say hey i'm going to move from california to texas and yeah i'm going to get away from state income tax and it's instead pro- of- welcome to property taxes yeah <laughs> that's right and they go up every year well so that, that's a really good point though you talk about people having their all their wealth in their homes and so yeah. we see that often where you know rich has a really good analogy with this like we're turning you know water into ice when we pay that house off mm-hmm. and you just can't you're not generating income it has you know it's great you're also not having costs that is, you know, if you're renting, it's going up. If you're having a payment, it would be locked in, generally speaking, unless you have an arm. But um, these are these can be issues further down the road in retirement where you're seeing people looking at home home equity conversion mortgages, the old school reverse mortgages, where you can stay in the home, take funds out. Um, there's a lot of ways to go about this, but I would be really cautious as far as, you know, understanding where your funds are going, how you're putting them aside so that you're going to have access to them later. Yeah. And again, the, 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 look, there's a lot of fallacies in the market. You know, Dave Ramsey, love Dave Ramsey as a, as a you know, get out of debt guy. But, you know, part of the advice he gives that's not great is, you know, to buy term life insurance. And, and here's why, before you jump off a cliff on this, listen to what I say. The theory behind term life insurance is you're supposed to buy cheap insurance and then save the difference so that basically you save up a bunch of wealth to be self-insured somewhere down the road when that term life policy expires. The problem is most people don't do that. They they buy the term life policy. That's great. They have coverage for 30 years. But at the point that you need coverage of insurance, it expires worthless and you haven't saved up the money. So the same the same process goes with paying off your house. I have a lot of people tell me, it's like, oh, I'm just going to I'm dumping everything in to pay off my mortgage. That's not a great idea if you're not saving in your 401k plan, if you're not saving in your IRAs, if you're not saving in your Roth IRAs. Because you're, to Danny's point, you're taking money that can be growing for you and creating income and turning it into dead money by putting it into a house that eventually you'll have to sell the house. But again, house prices have gone up. So you sell your house and you have just enough money to buy a new house. You still have no savings in the bank. And this is the the problem we have. And, and, and something that you have to think about is where is the best use of my money going and what can I do to maximize that benefit and think about the long-term ramifications like term life policies are great when you're young because you need some coverage just in case you hit by a bus but if you're not saving the money that and and what the goal is you, you buy term life which isn't cheap but you're supposed to be saving the difference between the term life and a whole life policy if you're not doing that buy the whole life because at least you'll have permanent insurance through the rest of your life Right. And that's and it doesn't expire. You just keep paying the premium. 
But if you're not doing the, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, it's not going to work for you because again, you wind up uninsured and with a house. So you well, know, and, I, and that's where a lot of people are right now. But I think that they both have their use, right? Of so course, a, a term policy is fantastic for a young family who maybe you don't have a lot of cash flow. You're just trying to get something to protect your family. Absolutely. I think everybody needs that at that stage in life. You need a term policy. And that's going to be just to mitigate risk. It's cheap. Do so. But Don't procrastinate be, on it. But you got to be saving. Well, you, you have to be saving. That's the other kicker, right? So you need to, we need to look at the hierarchy of how we're saving, hierarchy of assets. But, you know, this is where, you, like you mentioned, Dave Ramsey will say, hey, we're going to put the funds into the term. Then you're going to invest the rest. Most people don't invest the rest. That's and right. then... Here's and, that, the other and, that, and that's the math. That's the math. The, the rest is the difference between the cost of a term life and a permanent, right? That's the, that's the rest. Correct. But the other aspect of this is that, look, most of our clients have graduated above the, the Dave Ramsey School of Thought, right? Dave Ramsey is fantastic to get out of debt. You need to start the foundation. Great. But now we need to find other ways that we can, tools that you can use, that you can generate and build wealth and have access to it in more tax-efficient manners. And that's where, Lance, like a more of a permanent policy would come into play, where, okay, you know, you're looking at utilizing this for distributions later in retirement, taking tax-free, you know, taking a loan against it, um, or, um, you know, looking at it from a state tax standpoint, so to mitigate those estate taxes further down the road. And that's where I think those permanent policies can have a really good, um, you know, th th that's where they fit really well. And so for somebody, for instance, who says, look, I'm maxing out the 401k, I have my emergency funds, my financial vulnerability cushion, we have everything done that we can do. We can't put any money into a Roth because we make too much money. Where's the most tax efficient way or where can I put funds aside in addition to already funding a brokerage account? Well, okay, here's where we should go, right? And that would be that permanent policy. But I still don't want to want to say that we would not want that term. Term's going to be to mitigate risk that other policy is going to serve something different. That's right. That's right. So, um, got about a minute. Guinness hikes beer prices in Ireland. Now, doesn't sound like that big of a deal, except it's risking financial hardship for many. <laughs> so you mean they can't walk home from work to the pub? Or, or <laughs> Well, they just apparently they drink a lot of Guinness. So hiking the, the price of Guinness is going to put many in financial hardship. So how many Guinness can you drink? Me personally? That's like a meal. None. Yeah. none. I can drink none of Guinness. It's it's too dark for me. Yeah, it's a pretty heavy beer. It's a heavy beer. And then plus the calorie count is just <laughs> up through the roof, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, um, wraps up the show for the day. Um, this morning, futures are pointing a little bit higher. Uh, markets are going to be wrestling with that 50-day moving average today. Uh, be sure, if you have not yet, go to our website, uh, realinvestmentadvice.com, and click on the uh, Before the Bell link for our, our daily Before the Bell and subscribe. It's a, We have set Before the Bell. That was previously our three minutes of markets and money is now a separate channel. So you'll need to subscribe to that channel so you get the feed for the Before the Bell videos. Uh, that's on the website. It's on our YouTube channel as well as on our website at realinvestmentadvice.com. But if you want the feed for the Before the Bell videos, those are our short three-minute videos about markets and where we're trading it before the bell opens in the morning, that's where you'll need to, to subscribe to that. So 
do that at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Make sure you're subscribed to our daily market commentary. It comes out every morning at 7.30. Quick update on the markets. Of course, our newsletter as well. Lots of stuff to keep you informed about the markets. All at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.